0: What's up, nuts? We are back with another edition of the UFO Book Club, and uh, the same players are here with me again. Of course, we're talking Brian and Angelo from Double Density. What's up, guys?
1: Hey, Rob. Hi, Rob. Hello.
0: And we also have the one and only Sam Fredrickson from the Not Alone podcast. What's up, what Sam? What's
2: up, UFO Book Club?
1: Was a... <laughs> oh yeah he's the one in class with his hat like with his hat
2: backwards you yeah, i am am i wearing a hat no i thought i was no i'm not though
1: i'm surprised he called rob yo teach
2: <laughs> sup homes <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: per usual we'll be handing the reins over to brian now who oh, is perfect. our ringleader because jason again did not want to show yeah, up to book club
2: I literally mentioned this to him yesterday and he was like oh that's fun and i was like you don't you don't want any part of this. Mm. Well. Yeah, you know how he is. It frightens him. Yeah, it does frighten him. In my questions, I have like
1: so. I have like a like ten or twelve points. My zero point was Sam. Where's Jason?
2: Yeah, yeah, he's an asshole. That's that's where he is. The uh, <laughs> short and sweet. I'm not
1: keeping that into the episode.
3: <laughs>
0: Why? He does, it's not like he listens to my podcast. It's fine. Yeah, it's okay. fine.
2: He's not going to listen to this. He doesn't listen to my podcast. Our podcast. <laughs> he doesn't listen to anything. <laughs> it doesn't listen to reason anyway okay i'm done bashing my co-host i love him very much.
1: (laughs) well the best part is like how is this going to get back to him early at the end of the day right like unless you explicitly tell him hey jason guess what last night i talked about you deal with it i probably will oh well that's like (laughs) half the fun then there you go This time around on UFO Book Club, we're going to be covering Somewhere in the Skies, A Human Approach to an Alien Phenomenon by Ryan Sprague. So this is a 2016 book, and uh, I'm going to read from his bio from his website. So Ryan Sprague is a writer splitting his time between New York City and Los Angeles. He is also an investigative journalist specializing in the topic of UFOs. He's been featured on ABC News, Fox News, the Science Channel, Upright Citizens Brigade, and is a regular on the Traveler Channel's Mysteries at the Museum. So my first question, actually, no, it's more of a statement. So when we last left off with our paranormal podcasters, we were all busy pointing fingers at each other and decrying the fact that we each and other were a disinformation agent. Now, gentlemen, has anything changed since then?
3: No, nothing. Nothing. I'd like to think that I'm not a disinformation agent. You are the worst disinformation agent, (laughs) Angelo. You are
0: disinformation agent number one.
2: Here's the thing, guys. Well, I
3: guess as a disinformation agent, I would say I'm not one. So, yeah. That's true. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I am increasingly more aware of the possibility that I am the disinformation agent. And I, I don't know how to deal with that. But I just want everyone to, to know, just keep me in check because I could be just spouting lies um, to keep down the, the UFO crew. So, you know.
1: Right. Right. Keeping the sheeple kind of like misinformed. Yeah,
2: It's not my fault. I don't want to do this, but I'm just increasingly aware that everything I do is a culmination of all of the things that have ever happened to me. Right. And if we live in a simulation, then all of the things that have ever happened to me were pre-programmed to make me this disinformation agent that I am.
1: Hear me out though, Sam. So I can't believe we're about to do this and go down this rabbit hole, but maybe our life is like the Sims, right? So while this is a simulation, your uh, sort of outcomes aren't predetermined, but really someone else is kind of like gently guiding you with like a cursor or, you know, some kind of hand. Now, as long as nobody closes off in a room without a toilet, then we die.
2: Yeah, that's bad.
1: Yeah, when I was a kid, my sister and her best friend used to uh, gather all of her Sims in the pool and take away um, the ladder, and that killed them all. So uh, don't go into any pools, folks. Nope. No. <laughs> nope. Off limits. Such Off a, limits. Such a resounding no. I'm so proud of you guys. That's the first <laughs> thing we can all agree on tonight.
0: Actually, you know what? Brian, I think you need to ask Sam a question that will definitely pin him Whoa. A, as the disinformation <laughs> agent for Whoa. this podcast. There's one important question. Go What's ahead, Brian. So,
1: ask him. This is- this is actually like question number one on my on my list. Uh, um, let's start things off with Sam. Sam, hey, how man. much of the book have you okay.
2: read? Okay, here we go. I am <laughs> not putting up for this corporate smear campaign. <laughs> I will over- uh, page count here, Sam. I want every single person listening to this hundreds. podcast to know. Notice how he's deflecting dozens (laughs) of pages. I literally, not only was it my wife's birthday, then graduation, then graduation party all three days in a row last weekend, but also, okay, I was like, yo, Rob, send me some of those notes so I can kind of just get the idea of what's going on here. And none other than Brian. Brian, is your last name hasty? Yes. Okay. I thought (laughs) so, but Brian hasty himself (laughs) tweeted back and said you know what don't read any notes don't read any of the book just go in blind i think it's better for format that way so you're right i've read nothing but that's not my fault i wanted that's to that's perfect
1: though i wanted that's to that's perfect like i'm not here to like to like yell at you i think it's a marvelous kind of spectrum we got rob on the one end who like rob how many pages of notes have you taken for this like in preparation for this 20 mm. well, <laughs> mm. i think uh, this kind of says everything angela
3: how many notes do you have i have 91 lines on a uh, bb edit
1: uh, note but uh yeah so about like two pages okay perfect and i have about that uh, more or less so uh sam you and I, I think are in the same sort of like 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 uh, note bucket let's say right uh except that i've actually read the book twice now uh and you zero but that, that's <laughs> hey that's fine that's okay <laughs> that's cool dude uh we'll just throw ideas to you and see how you feel about them okay all right All right, gentlemen, let's dive right into my first serious question of the night. Now that we've got all of the uh, name-calling, shaming, and uh, sheeple, uh, you know, sort of like uh, uh, calling out uh, over with... um, This only makes sense to people who've read the book, I guess, but can you describe an encounter uh, you've had with someone where you're talking to someone and suddenly uh, you've created a a, sort of like a bond uh, over the paranormal? Because that's what happens uh, in the intro to Ryan's book. He sort of describes this idea that he goes to a bar and sits down and he starts talking to the bartender and suddenly he and this bartender start talking about the Phoenix Lights. And I'm just curious, have there been instances in your life where you had conversations that you actually uh, did not expect and then suddenly turns into this like great, wonderful thing where you just you share an interest in something sort of like niche?
0: Yes. Yes, um there was one instance I was just drinking with a friend and I was wearing I, I want to say I had like some ghosts or something on my shirt. It might have been uh my paranormal group has shirts, so I think I was wearing one one day and I just bonded with the bartender and we ended up going up to the third floor of this building and just doing an impromptu ghost hunt. So uh yeah, uh, I, I've definitely done that before. What about you, Sam?
2: Well, as a paranormal podcaster, people talk to me all the time. I don't necessarily welcome the talking to me, but they do it anyway. So before all of this, though, I think it was not random by any means. But if we're going to talk about people having shared interests, I need to give a, a shout out to my best friend, used to be best friend. Maybe we're still best friends. I don't know. We haven't really checked in in a while. Her name was Cassie. And one time we got paid $10 by another one of our friends to go check out if there was a local, if there was like an abduction event happening at a local college because they had canceled all of their classes for that evening. And no one knew why. Turned out it was like a teacher in service. But we took a camera and we like filmed ourselves. And I was like, what was my name? My name I think was Trixta like trick stuff (laughs) S T A her name was just freak. And we like filmed everything. And then we came across this guy. Okay. So here's the guy who was on the level who just fit into our niche with us. I went to this man who was for some reason at the school as a student, even though all the classes were canceled. So that's the first weird thing. And I was like, Hey man, have you heard anything about like aliens? I wasn't being very, I don't know, subtle. Are you, have you heard anything about aliens? And this man, long hair, kind of like a Kurt Cobain vibe, except sadder, if that's possible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he looks me dead in the eyes and he says, listen to me. There are things you want to know. And there are things you don't want to know. And as you learn more about the things that you don't want to know that they don't want you to know, they go into your head while you sleep and they take your memories. They take your memories (laughs) and they replace them with just buzzing, just white noise. (laughs) So be careful who you're asking questions to. And then literally three minutes later, a security guard came out of nowhere and told us to get the heck off of campus. So I guess that guy, does that answer the question? It has stayed with me to this day. So keep that in mind, Did you everyone.
1: introduce yourself as Trickster, though? We're like, no. hey, what's up? I'm Trickster. No, I gotta ask you a question. This was
2: like before kids had YouTube channels, but we were going for something like that. We were going to like have our own collection of videos with us being paranormal investigators, but then it just never came to fruition. So now I have a podcast. So we're just goofing around. So there we go. We're just goofing around.
1: What about you, Angela? Have you met any weird men in hallways telling you to watch out and that there is buzzing in your head when you find out the truth? No, my
3: stories is, my story is significantly more boring. And I was, I was at the office and I was talking to somebody who worked there and we both realized we were like totally into this paranormal stuff, and now I host a paranormal podcast
1: with him. Oh, oh, that's true. Actually, I wanted to ask you: Do you remember the first like time we actually talked about that? Like, did I throw like UFO gang signs to you? Like, I don't remember <laughs> what our first conversation about this was.
3: It was when uh, when I was working uh, in the Welcome Center with you at the uh, where uh, at the university we worked at, and you mentioned you were listening to Art Bell and Coast to Coast. I'm like, what? And I told you I didn't really listen to much of that, but I love the paranormal. And then we started having uh, Unsolved Mysteries watching parties in my office because I had a, cl- a door we could close and we would watch Unsolved Mysteries in there.
1: And we also watched that uh, that uh, Louis Theroux weird weekends where he goes with the UFO hunters and hunts for the Chupacabra. Oh, yes, we watched that. And also that weird Crocodile. Uh, oh, the,
3: the Vice documentary, right?
1: Yes. Don't do a Crocodile, kids. It's, it yeah. ruins everything about you.
3: But yeah, I have m- mentioned a few times uh, on, I can't even remember where we've talked about this. I think we talked about it on our show. How, uh, or maybe was it on Into the Portal? I don't remember. But we talked about us um, like sort of bonding over this whole paranormal thing and realizing, hey, we both like weird, this weird stuff. And then finally, like a thousand years later, we decided to start a podcast. Thanks
1: for outing my age there, but that's okay, I'll Olive. Um, moving on. <laughs> You're the second youngest person on this episode. I guess I am. Yeah. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah, don't worry. You're getting old, and it's happening fast.
1: <laughs> By the way, happy birthday, Rob! Uh,
0: happy thank birthday, you. Rob! <laughs> thank you.
1: Yes, happy birthday, Rob.
0: <laughs> this will come out in like a month after my birthday. That's is, cool. Uh, let's, let's, happened, let's have people cool. wish
1: you happy birthday throughout the year. Yeah, like oh, also this new year. is gonna
0: be the new um, happy. Yeah, it's, happy gonna new be, year? it's gonna
1: be the new happy new year. Get ready for that. <laughs> okay. Um. So. <laughs> I want to get your initial thoughts about the book so for me this would be sort of like an ideal book to hand to someone who wants to know about the like the saucer phenomenon and i think that Sprague does a really good job of outlining uh, a lot of different cases and capturing reactions in the way that feels authentic and also sort of like outlines um the human emotion behind um encounters which you don't necessarily see from a lot of books who kind of just are very descriptive about you know boom 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 this is the way in which the procedurally the encounter um has happened so i'm wondering i'm going to start with uh you angelo how you felt about the book book
3: Well, I liked his approach to it. it. It's, like you said, a lot more human. I think he mentions that in the book that it's a much more human way of looking at things. Uh, I like the story at the beginning with him bonding with the uh, bartender, but also how he talked about his own encounter and how that sort of colored the way he was going to approach the topic. Uh, he had an encounter um, actually along the St. Lawrence River, which we're not too far from uh, here in southern Quebec, and he was at the border of Canada and uh, the US. I think he was in, was where was he, in upstate New York?
0: Yeah, he was, um, I don't think he was in Syracuse at the time, but uh, I think he was vac- like vacationing not far away. But I mean, like you, the St. Lawrence is like right near there. Exactly.
3: So it was along the St. Lawrence River, and he saw a UFO, and that kind of colored the way he was going to look at this topic for the rest of his life, and he's been interested in it. And you can tell he's a good writer. It was a very easy book to read and go through, and... I think it's, like you said, it's a good primer on UFOs. It's a different way of looking at this. It's not as dry as some of those other UFO books that are out there that it's like, yeah, this is a case. This is another case. This is another case. No, he kind of gets behind the people, looks at their lives, and there's different, really different types of cases. So I thought that was a good way of approaching it. What about you, Rob?
0: Uh, I really enjoyed his approach for sure um, because he didn't look at the event. He looked at the aftermath of the event, how it affected people because a lot of these events are occurred in the past, but like you're getting a wide range of uh, spectrum here of when these events occurred and how it affected people down the line. These encounters were, you know, like in the sixties or seventies and some of them are, you know, just a couple of years old, but, uh, it, It really it ran the gamut of uh, people of. Uh, different types of encounters, not just, you know, you get abduction accounts, you get uh, close encounters of the second kind, close encounters. There's a really frightening close encounter of the third kind in this book that uh, is still giving me kind of nightmares. And um, you get the whole kind of uh, wide range. And I really, uh, really enjoyed that. I think that Ryan did a great job just doing something different. You know, he, he didn't, like, reinvent the game, but he stepped aside and said, okay, there's a different way of doing this, a different way of looking at this, and uh, I uh, and I think he did it really well. He, he, good job, Ryan.
1: You you pulled it off, dude. And what about you, uh, Sam? Any thoughts about the book after
2: your initial uh, thumb-through? I literally did not do anything with this book. <laughs> like, I did not. I got the, like, guys, like, I'm not, ah! I got the email. I got the email love, from Ryan. I just want to throw
1: to you to see how you would tap dance. Oh!
2: I got the email from Ryan. He's like, here's this book. I was like, dude, great. I don't even think I responded, thank you. I'm such an asshole. I got the email.
1: But here's your here's your forum to do that, to thank Ryan. Yeah, thank Brian. it's Brian, your opportunity now. Thank you
2: for the book. I'm sure it's great. I will read it, I promise. But for some reason, Brian wanted me to be... The the comic relief in this episode, so not
1: the comic relief. No, I kind of have an idea as to why I want you to not read the book, and the idea is to bring on the full spectrum. And so I um, hope so. So Angelo, I'm Sam, and I having here.
2: <laughs> Don't panic, dude. <laughs> okay, I did nothing with the book.
0: Actually you you should panic. There's going to be a quiz at the oh, end God. of this. So I just want but you to it know. is okay. it is
1: multiple choice. Oh. So okay. like at least yeah. there's like a little bit of guessing there.
2: Just like the SATs. You,
0: you could throw in a few C's for good measure. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I had the idea in that like Sam um so Rob, Angela and I have read the book and so we're kind of like tainted in one way and like we want to talk about the contents of the book but a lot of the questions that I have here are sort of like larger than the book itself but can be discussed within the context of the book. So I, I want oh. to see what you brought to the table as someone who hadn't read the book but still wanted to discuss a lot of these like different themes. Um, so with that in mind and Rob, you read my mind last week because one of my first questions was um, this book is all about, you know, uh, encounters. I was curious uh, if you uh, as a group uh, individually each had your own um, favorite um, encounter or abduction uh, story. So I'm going to quickly just mention mine, which is the Betty and Barney Hill one. Obviously, sort of like a landmark in uh, modern ufology uh, due to a number of factors. And to me, that sort of is very emblematic of like a lot of like really interesting facets of abduction and encounter uh, culture. So with that in mind, uh, Sam, I'm going to throw it to you. You can redeem yourself by discussing some of your favorite encounters okay, right now.
2: Good. Good. This is good. Okay. So, my, I would say that my absolute favorite UFO encounter or alien abduction experience is the Mojave incident uh that took place in the Mojave desert um i like it so much because it is such an interestingly unique account it's something that that breaks away from so much of the the i don't know the classical abduction phenomena where like these people are camping in a desert, right? I've done that. I spent a good amount of my life in the desert between the ages of 18 and whenever it was I met my my wife, okay? I've been in the desert at dark. And they were laying down and looking up and they saw the stars fall to the earth in some kind of doomsday scenario, okay? Now that, to me, is what gets me going. And I really like the Mojave incident for that. It's a it's a great thing. There's a whole book on it. But another one that I really enjoy is the um oh well, well I was gonna say I enjoyed can't even remember the name. Here we go. It's the Hopkins, Kelly Hopkinsville goblins. And they share, they're the only two that I've really found that share this idea of little goblins. Little pointed ears, and they're they're frolicking around and they're kind of crazy. So those are my two favorite abductions. Or, well, one's an abduction, one's a close encounter. But the main thing that I like about the Mojave incident as well, I forgot to mention. It has a happy ending. I looked up and I found the people that this happened to on social media. I didn't friend request them because it would be weird. But... Would it, though? I think it would be kind of strange to be like... You want to let them know. You want to see how they're doing. Well, and I did... uh, They are also a little older, so they don't, I guess they may not understand privacy settings, but I could see (laughs) what their lives were like. And you know, dude, they were happy. Like, they were happy. They didn't seem to have a lot of lasting trauma. Like, I don't know. It's social media. Everybody lies. But, like, so often these abduction accounts end in, like, marriages breaking up and like heartache and just pain, but they just really seem to be riding that wave. So I'm proud of them and I'm happy for them.
1: That's a really, really good point. And actually something like to follow up on when you're saying before that like you yourself had spent some time in the desert and kind of like got a feel for it. Um, I sort of had the same thing. Like, you know, when I, when I was younger, like in my early teens, I saw the Blair Witch Uh, project Mm -hmm. and i i sort of understood the movie but i had um spent some time camping in the woods too and when i returned to the movie in my early 20s it like it was is terrifying in like a totally different way for me because i had experienced that so i'm wondering um both you angela and rob have you had like sort of incidents that have happened in your life where you've kind of like returned to something with like a completely different view on it because of like life happening
0: no not not really i i've never had that um that go back kind of reaction to, to really anything. Usually it's uh, a reaction in the moment and and sometimes it carries forward and sometimes it doesn't, but it never, never going back like that.
3: Uh, in my case, it's more having uh, been much more of a believer in these types of things before. And then later in life, I guess in my late 20s and as of my early 30s, I became much more skeptical and looked at these from a different point of view after having uh, read more Carl Sagan stuff and looking at it more from that end of things. But I still have cases I enjoy. One of them being a recent one where I didn't really know much about it until we kind of did some research on it, and that's the Delphos Ring. I thought that was a really fun, interesting case with some good trace evidence of something having happened. Was it aliens? Probably not, but something happened. And it was still an interesting case, as well as uh, the Shag Harbour incident. Uh, keeping it here in Canada,
1: <laughs> that's that's a good idea. Yeah, let's just keep it uh, going with. Uh, I mean, like we did Falcon Lake with Rob too. So, like, why not just throw that one in? Oh yeah, Falcon Lake. That's a really yeah. fun one too.
0: Falcon Lake, because you know what, uh, you you have other things to do, man. You 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 you've got uh, other matters to attend to. Yeah, when and, you're an RCMP
1: like, officer, you don't have
3: to
0: deal sorry, with that kind
1: of stuff. I have other duties to attend to. <laughs> yeah so how's about you rob like you have probably uh read a myriad number of encounter stories and i'm just curious like w- if you had to single like one or a few uh, not necessarily just in this book but you'd mentioned a ce3 that sort of like spooked you from this book so i'm kind of hoping that you'd speak to that but like uh, what kind of encounters like uh have marked you i guess the most
0: um just in doing podcast research lately uh there are, there are a couple of There's a couple of abduction uh, stories that stick out and a couple of kind of CE3 stories. Uh, The Father Gill story that we talked about in Last Book Club, uh, when you drill down on that story a little bit, like, a lot of crap was happening in uh, Papua New Guinea at the time. Uh, There were, for about a year, there was about uh, a collection of, like, 60 plus UFO sightings in the area. And I mean, uh, Father Gills on the uh, two sightings on the 26th and 27th was not his first. He actually had one like a few days before that. That's kind of it's it's interesting to me. One, it received the highest ranking uh, from J. Allen Hynek in terms of CE3 cases. It's also just been thoroughly researched by, like, everybody, and, I mean, the only detractors are people like, you know, Philip Klass, who couldn't get over the fact that on the second night, Gil just went to dinner at 6.30 at night, but, I mean, you know. That's what you do when you're there. I mean, like, the way that he described it was kind of interesting, because he's just like, you know what, we have a strict way of doing things around here they obviously weren't going to land and we weren't going to interact. So I went to dinner.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have thought about that much over the course of my life, knowing about father Gale. And I have to agree that if a UFO is just messing with me for like two hours, how long am I supposed to sit there watching it before I can do other things yeah, with my life? Right. I'm a busy right. man. Yeah. Thank exactly. you.
1: You're also like a, presumably like a hungry man, you know, living in Papua New Guinea, doing the things you're doing. It's hot there. You mm-hmm. kind of get hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Man's got to eat. And, you know, if you got to eat, you got to eat. <laughs> but apart from Father Gill, like, is there any, uh, what other ones have sort of like marked you, I guess?
0: I've really been looking at, uh, as of late the years, 1966 to 1967. I mean, we just covered Falcon. Like, uh, you guys made mention of Shag Harbor, but there are so many cases just from that time period, Uh, not a lot of people know about him. I mean, most of it's for, you know, overtaken by the whole Mothman thing, but there's this great little case that uh, John Keel reported on early on in the Mothman sightings called the, uh, it's called The Little Man of Gaffney. And basically these cops come across a UFO, like, out on a road, and it lands, and this, like, really short, like, human looking alien comes out and starts interacting with them. But like every time they ask it a question, it just doesn't answer their question until, and it, and it like laughs at, it laughs at these cops like a a couple times and then just gets in the, it's, it's ship and then takes off again. But they get this like mental message that the ship would return in like three days time. And there was a UFO sighting, uh, like three days later, but it never landed or anything like that. There's uh there's another one that um I'm going to be covering about this uh this guy named David Stevens. Uh ever since I stumbled across his his case cuz like nobody talks about it, nobody reports it because it's connected to this uh to Herbert Hopkins and his men in black encounter. Herbert Hopkins was investigating David Stevens' case and like he has this really weird men in black encounter in which uh this Robotic like uh person comes into his house uh and basically you know through weird interactions and stuff, basically tells him you need to burn all your research and all that stuff but uh the actual abduction account and the beings that he interacts with are just they're so strange they're not they're not the typical grays that you would think of, so i that's one case that I've been really. Uh, fascinated by uh, as of late. And I would say the last one uh, just right now in terms of um, abductions is just Travis Walton, just because it's so strange. It does not fit into the normal mold of a, of an abduction case uh, in, in terms of the fact that this is a one and done situation. This isn't a lifelong you know, series of encounters, like most of them are. And I think what's great about Ryan's book in this case is like with the abduction accounts, they are not all like lifelong things, right? Sometimes they come into the, sometimes they come into their life for a certain period of time and then they're gone. So, um, yeah, those are, those are just some, some of the ones that
1: I've been really fascinated by lately following up on that though and i guess this is a question to everyone so i want you to like sort of like put your thinking caps on for a sec um sometimes people want to attach like a, a spiritual connotation uh, to a sighting or to an abduction in particular um and lots of folks seem to want to add sort of like a context to an encounter and uh, search for for meaning within it. i think it's like a really interesting phenomenon for certain people how they uh introduce um this sort of like added uh layer to their uh abduction experience and i mean for example angela and i were just covering um realism on double density and that's like a ufo call Right, So this idea of this man gets abducted and suddenly he learns all of this stuff, gets indoctrinated and wants to spread the word of these people um, to everyone on earth. And I think that's kind of like an extreme version of that. But there are people who want to attach sort of like this like spirituality to um, their experiences. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. So I guess the floor is open to all of you to sort of yell at once. There were actually a bunch of cases
3: that mentioned spirituality. One of them, his name was Michael Carter. And uh mm. he was shown a, a picture of a pair of hands in a in a prayer position with like a lightning bolt going through it. And uh when he saw that, he took it as a sort of an encouragement to pursue the healing energy of prayer. And it was it was kind of interesting, like he uh he was told that he should like this was later on, like when he was talking about this to people, he was told he was should should try uh Reiki, which from the way I understand it and all signs point to that it's complete garbage. He also went on to like get a master's in divinity, and he wrote a, his thesis on the connection between UFOs and the Bible. One of my favorite parts of the book is uh, when he, Ryan goes to have a weekend with Mike Cleland uh, at the Doctor's Inn in a little town that Rob knows well.
0: Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's my hometown.
3: <laughs> Mike brought in a, a man named Tom who's like a spiritual practitioner, and he was brought into the Doctor's Inn, which is where... This all took place to talk to these experiencers there's something in like the human mind when they have these pretty much unexplainable experiences that leads them. Uh, to call into to question their beliefs and go towards some sort of higher
1: power being behind them right I think it's it's some kind of like um sort of like a, a search for meaning really when this sort of like unexplainable event happens to you and you sort of like want to attach something to it that sort of like makes sense uh, much in the same way some people tend to do that when a tragedy happens to them but I'm not necessarily saying that like an encounter or an abduction is um, a negative thing necessarily some people actually um, do find some uh, great joy in it I was wondering uh, Sam Rob what are your thoughts on the idea of spirituality and UFOs.
2: Well, one of the things and reasons why I enjoy the Mojave incident so much is because it was a a directly spiritual thing. Like they prayed and 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 essentially were kind of the aliens were related or equated with demons and prayer helped with that, but then they were also visited Uh, at one point by an angel and the angel explained to them that like, it's okay. There's a God. He loves you. It's all right. And then they later on in their, their post um, post abduction hypnosis sessions, sessions, the wife in the encounter, she is talking about this angelic being and talking about the message she got regarding the, the creator of the universe and the person who is, um, doing the hypnosis essentially says, "Well, what do you, you know, what do you know about the creator of the universe or whatever?" And she says in hypnosis, she says, "Well, read your Bible, and you'll learn all you need to know about him." And then you take that and you relate it as well to um, Whitley Streber, right, where his grays are very. Hive mind, like very insectoid, very, very you have a lot of drones, a lot of workers, and then it he kind of implies that it goes up and up the scale. I can't remember if it was in communion or in the supernatural uh, that he wrote with Jeffrey Cripple, but basically he implies eventually that the consciousness of these beings comes from one source that directs itself through to these these flesh robots, um, and and by that does its bidding. And it's it's very interesting for me because I am a person of religious faith where I do believe in God as as religious texts explain him but it's even hard for me to try to reconcile that with aliens you get into all of these sorts of questions right if there is a god and if there are aliens how are they related to each other are the aliens also going to go to heaven you get all of these cool little sci-fi questions that some cults uh, like as far as I know, like Raleighism or um, I'm trying to think of any others. I don't know. Other Scientology. Scientology, all sorts of UFO cults, cults will try to codify these beliefs. And I really think it all comes down to man's search for meaning, one way or the other. I think it comes down to the idea that you have your nice little reality your nice little physical, like, this is my day-to-day, and then you have a supernatural presence that injects itself. For a, a believer, for um, someone who believes in in classical religion, they will say that that's what God does, that you have your daily day-to-day life, and then God interjects himself into it, and it has the ability to change your entire life, and the aftermath of a UFO abduction does change your entire life. I really think it's actually quite natural to equate the two because we assume that aliens, if they exist, are extraterrestrials of any kind or terrestrials, whatever. I'm not sticking to one hypothesis here whatever they are, we assume that they would have a deeper understanding of the universe. And I know that when they show up, if it's in my lifetime, my first question's gonna be, what do you think about God? And go from there.
1: So Sam, I kind of want to follow up with that sort of humorously if you'll allow me. Yes. Uh are aliens God's B team? Like if God's busy, does he send the aliens to sort of like like include that sort of like extra um layer of things to someone's
2: life? Well, it's it's interesting. I'm gonna say no. But The thing, (laughs) the thing about it is right. If we want to believe, because we, I was, I kind of alluded to it at the beginning. If we want to believe that our entire life has been planned out, that everything is is worked together in one way or another for our good, hopefully, then you have to say that something as monumental as an alien abduction would not would not escape like God's sovereignty. That's not just going to happen, right? That's going to be something that in this belief system god sees and knows i don't know why i don't know how i don't know anything like that i don't want i don't i don't i don't think because then you get to the same thing of like well angels are just aliens and demons and and all of that and that is something that actually just just does not jive for me personally i think aliens are aliens and demons are demons and they're their own things
1: that is a great thesis statement to have. Demons are their own things. <laughs>
2: They're their own things.
1: Uh, Rob, what about you? How do you feel about sort of like the the correlation between spirituality and um and abduction phenomena? Because uh, something that I I kind of wanted to bring up is the idea of like not necessarily spirituality, but like you um on a previous episode had talked about David Huggins, right? And he fell in love with an alien being and sort of like created a a romance and sort of a a lot of art based on his attachment to an otherworldly being. So I was wondering um, through that lens or through the spiritual lens, if you sort of like have had um, time to sort of like give that thought.
0: I remember reading communion for the first time and it wasn't, it wasn't Whitley Strieber's experiences that really caught me. It was when you got to the hidden choir section and there was this one abductee that, said something i forget exactly how he framed it but like this uh alien being basically said to him like god is like this eternal creator and if he and if he stopped creating the world the universe would die or something essentially like that and i remember like not being able to handle that at the time i literally took the book and threw it in the trash because i couldn't (laughs) Nice. Nice,
2: wow
1: okay
0: yeah um I have since uh re- repurchased the book um and I actually I actually just just bought a lot of like 8 Whitley Strieber books so it's got another copy of communion in there so uh, and it's the one that uh and you know gave Angelo nightmares when he was younger Yeah let's so, not bring that up uh, uh, I sent it to you too yeah thanks. Thanks. Uh,
1: Rob I have his address if you need it let me know
0: Yeah I'll uh, <laughs> I'll hit you up later
1: send me text um, messages with
3: that face that stupid little tiny mouth.
0: Uh, oh, here we go again. He's doing he's the always, alien shaming. Always but, with the uh, shaman, dude. Yeah, he's he's shaming all the time. It's terrible. One of the things that has always like startled me in in like an abductee's interaction with alien beings is like there's always that one that they have this relationship with for like their entire life. If it's a lifelong thing, there is this thing about, like, it's a complicated relationship, there are, there's, like, resentment there, but there's this, like, deep devotion and love, too, yeah. which I always found kind of, like, I don't want anti- to, you know, the, to equate the two, but it's, like, you you love God, and at the same time, you're loving this thing, and it's, like, it's it's this weird juxtaposition, but the spiritual stuff always kind of just got me, because it's, like, you're going through the most traumatic experience of your life, and you don't totally get negatives out of it. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's this, like, it's it's the full yin and yang spectrum with, with good and bad. Um, and I think one of the most, like, startling uh, examples of this is, uh, in the book, is uh, this guy, uh, Chris Balecki, who was, uh, he was driving down to, I, th- I think he was uh, enlisting in the Navy at the time, and... He's outside of um, uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and he has this interaction with a UFO and it keeps playing this cat and mouse game with him for like uh, a few miles, you know, and, and, you know, he he shuts off the car a couple times, you know, Um, and actually I think it shuts off his car one or two times. Um, But one of the things that he does that uh, caught my attention was that he actually prayed to for the object to go away and it did and it never came back. The interesting thing was, is that over the years, he had these weird experiences. He had a near-death experience. He survived car accidents and uh, avoided another one. And, And it is so weird because it's drawn to the car. It's drawn to the one interaction that he had with this UFO, like, years before. But, like... He also just became this very religious and spiritual person. And you find that over and over and over again in in this book. So it's these, whatever, whatever these are, whatever, whatever these UFOs are, whatever these beings are like, there's something deeper than just the fear. Right. And I, I, I've always find it kind of, you know, found that profound in, in a way, but like also at the same time, it's like, I think. Cogswell put it best. uh, Him and I did um, a Patreon bonus episode of the What If podcast together. And the one way that he described an abduction account is like the book Flatland, where it's like a three-dimensional world interacting with a two-dimensional world and how just frightening that would be. It's, it's, it's this weird symbiotic relationship of good and bad, but ultimately the good weigh, it weighs more heavier than the bad which uh, i find that like really fascinating and and just it's it keeps it keeps me up at night god damn it it keeps me up at night
1: <laughs> that's a pretty frank assessment i think it's something that like doesn't necessarily get spoken about a lot when it comes to like abduction cases and i think you know sprague's book once again does really good in terms of like bringing out the human element of things and i think part of it obviously is is spirituality and i think like uh i want to pat ourselves on the back for like really uh, unpacking a lot of this like pretty well which we don't necessarily hear all too often so like, congrats, guys. I'm going uh, pat myself on the back right now. I'm going to hang it's, up here. Uh, I think my, my job's done. I'll see you guys around. <laughs> <laughs> the UFO Book Club out.
0: <laughs> I, I, we, we've just wrapped this up in two books. Like, Lovely. We're, we're <laughs> going to ascend to the next level now.
1: Legit, like, you know, a good bookend for each there were there there was
3: a lot of spirituality though in the book that's for sure there was yeah for sure uh, all, so many of the stories so many of the encounters like there was uh, the one uh, rob mentioned but there was also like Brett from Las Vegas he was like uh, uh, re- he was raised religious and then he no longer was but now he feels more spiritual after his sighting mm-hmm. and then uh, there the one there's one case that stuck with me and the whole time I was reading it it really creeped me out was the one with um, the mother and her daughters. I think her name oh, was Patty. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Patty and uh, Jennifer and Jessica. Nightmares for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at the, when all was said and done, we might talk about this case later because it's one of my favorite ones in the book, but uh, when all was said and done, they started praying at the end, and Patty felt that there were real spiritual and religious undertones to everything that had happened with them.
0: Yeah
1: that's a really good point yeah and well i probably think we'll we'll probably circle back to that one but i want you guys to keep your thinking caps on because you're going to sort of like pivot um so in the first few chapters in the book there's a lot of talk about like orbs and saucer encounters and it's kind of curious to think that um lights are a hallmark of a lot of these like different um sightings especially in the book so um there's one where like you know like you get like lights in the face as this like craft is going by and i was just wondering why do you think craft broadcast themselves instead of staying unlit and undetected uh you know i guess a question of intent but i'm kind of curious what you guys um think about this because of the fact that like it's such a, a prominent facet of a sighting right because it's the idea of you actually see them uh, lit up in a lot of cases
2: this is something jason never shuts the hell up about <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, oh, yeah. the, why do ufos have exactly, lights on it them? is his biggest um, argument as to why there could not possibly be a ufo
0: it's also the weakest argument out there. I in my opinion that is one of the weakest arguments to a UFO uh sighting that I agree. Is.
1: When do we see a is. Rob versus Jason showdown about Woof. this cuz I would listen to probably 17 if not 18 minutes of this before turning it off. I
2: think this is not a bad idea.
3: If let's say, okay, here I'm going to play Jason's part here. If if aliens are actually
1: visiting us. Hold on, before we do this, Sam, are you comfortable with this? Like I want to make sure that like like Angelo is a
2: suitable Jason. Do you think it's okay? angelo is a little too nice so if he could just be a little meaner then yes okay perfect <laughs> uh, angelo
0: you need to act you need to act like that rcmp officer just act like that guy Well, look, yeah, i'm just gonna go do
3: some some squats yep. and some bench presses yep. downstairs there we go. pull-ups
2: you're getting get that. some
3: uh have some cold brew <laughs> coffee
2: oh my god it's like he's here all right okay go ahead jace
1: <laughs>
3: all right i'm back uh and i'll have uh I'm, i can't really do a california accent though i'm really sorry
2: what he has an accent i don't think he has an accent it's fine well it no, just he sounds like he's from california he does sound like he's
0: from california interesting
2: I do i sound like i'm from idaho uh, okay no all not right. at all okay do i sound like i'm from canada yeah <laughs> yeah real bad. Uh,
0: You totally do you totally yeah. do okay uh, go ahead
2: jason okay <laughs> So here, like... I'm the Daniel Day-Lewis of podcasting. Thank you very much. Go ahead, Jason. Most of these, like, these sightings, okay, they all happen, the ones that happen at night.
3: They're happening at night because it's the easiest time for humans to misidentify other human objects. And that's why these things have lights, because conventional aircraft that we have built need lights to see. Now, if aliens were coming and visit us, we would not be seeing them. They would if they can get here from wherever the heck they're coming from, they would be invisible to us. And maybe there are screw-ups with like the uh with the alien abductions where people their repressed memories come back. But even at that, I think that's all just like uh
1: alien disinformation. Uh Rob playing the role of Rob will now rebut.
0: Uh I completely disagree. And I believe I, I believe that the point of the lights is that They are here to get our attention. They want us to pay attention. And I think of the UFO itself as a tool of language. It's not just a craft in the sky. Like, these things are here. They want to interact. Whether you choose to believe that or not, because people still see them. Like, it doesn't... Not every single one of these sightings is at night. And uh, I think that's uh, important to note. Like, the lights, to me aren't a, a, a deal breaker here, especially if you think about it and like, I've heard of some scientists suggest that uh, maybe it has something to do with their propulsion system that um, whatever it's using, like I'm going to come, I'm I'm going to reference like one of the worst things that I can right here, but it's, it's one of the early episodes of ancient aliens Whoa. and there was this uh, just, just give me, give me a second. There was this um, this uh, NASA scientist who, I, I, he's retired now, um, but he talked about like how when you put liquid mercury inside a vortex and you spin it, it creates an amount of lift, but it also gives off colors, and it gives off radiation and, and, and all that stuff. And I always found that kind of fascinating. But to me, the idea is that, They have lights on them, either because it's part of their propulsion system, or they want to get our attention. Like, the UFO sighting that I had when I was a teenager, it was trying, I've always felt that it was trying to get my attention. Otherwise, I I don't know why it was doing what it was doing. So, to me, lights make sense.
3: Okay, that's an interesting hypothesis.
1: What about you, Sam?
2: Jason, you fool. (laughs) Um... (laughs) very good very good and scene so yeah i really agree with rob i think that it's one of the silliest things in the world uh no offense to everyone to say that these things (laughs) fuck this (laughs) that these things (laughs) are coming from across the universe across time and space itself and they don't care about interacting with us. I think that the only reason you're going to cross that distance is to explore, to see what's there and to, at the end of the day, interact one way or the other. Star Trek is great. Star Trek is my, like my favorite TV show is Star Trek, the next generation, but I don't find the prime directive very believable. And in fact, that's literally the entire point of Star Trek is that they never follow the first direct or the prime director. No, they don't. And I think that that is, There to say that life recognizes life and life appreciates life, and there is something very natural, whether it's me and my dog, knowing that my dog cannot understand me, and yet I still speak to him, I still say, What's up? I still talk to him. I think that no matter what, if you are alive and something else is alive, there's a natural desire to communicate. And maybe you're doing it in a way that that can be nice and and ambiguous, something that does not have to give you all the answers, something that simply says, hey, I am out here and who knows why. But I think that that I think the light argument, I agree with Rob, it's like the worst argument in the entire world. I do agree that it. it, is very easy to misidentify things at night. I think that we're all doing a great disservice if we try to imply that more than 95% of, of, um, or that less than 95% of UFO reports are just misidentifications, but there is always that last 5%. And sometimes it's Socorro, New Mexico in broad daylight, you know, and sometimes it's Rendlesham forest in the dead of night, but regardless, there's an attempt to communicate.
1: Unless, uh, and here's a caveat though, unless uh, you are a uh, visitor to Skinwalker Ranch, in which case no one wants to actually communicate with you. They all want to eat you. They just want
2: to spook you out. (laughs) Yep. True. (laughs) They want to suck
1: you into a vortex over there. True. Yeah. I definitely do think that, like, there are a lot of interesting sort of facets when you consider the way that light um, is used. Especially, like, I wonder why in certain instances that, you know, they're, like, almost like a floodlight quality to how a craft operates um, when they want to get a, a human's attention, right? And it's, like, this really weird kind of almost, like, overkill of, like, hey, guess what? We're right here. And I'm wondering, like, uh, you know, are they
2: they having a little fun with us, maybe? Oh, I'm sure. Or it's owls. <laughs> oh, owls God. are not floodlight capable, they're not compatible with floodlights. You can't put a floodlight on an owl.
3: Owls can sometimes steal people's flashlights.
0: Listen, you know what? I want to I want to I want to make one note here about Angelo. I've been going back into Double Density's past catalog, episode 7. Whoa. Angelo says, and I quote, <laughs> Philip class wasn't a bad guy. Oh, are my you goodness, kidding me, Angelo? Angelo?
2: Not always. This is like... Let me put this situationally. No, this is like the Pentagon Papers that just happened to me. I don't know if I can be in the same podcast now. I'm sorry. (laughs) I've grown. Things change.
1: Also, something to <laughs> note is that when we started, Angela and I had this whole conversation about how he was scared to offend anyone. So I feel like gradually he's come out of his shell. And like, I remember a conversation you and I had, Angela, before we started that you didn't want to like call anyone out or call anyone stupid. And like by episode like 30, you're like, screw this guy. So I feel like there's like there's like this reticence to sort of like um uh, be mean for a while on your behalf. But yeah, I definitely do think that Angelo uh, did call Philip Class a decent guy. And uh, yeah, do you have a, a uh, you want to rebut or you just want to like pass? I uh, I'll, I pass,
2: like a true coward.
1: I do believe that Rob has outed Angelo as a disinformation agent. Do you actually have a family or the hired actors? No, they're all here. They're fine. They're upstairs. Uh, and and we know of the four of us. I'm the most skeptical. Yeah, but is it by trade? By trade, who signs um, your paychecks, Angelo?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, does it have a government seal on it? Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any <laughs> Or is it like hush-hush money under the table?
3: What's the Ooh. next question,
1: Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Um, So one of the first chapters we get to meet um, Damien Knott. I don't know if uh, you, Sam, or you Rob, have had a chance to watch Australian Skies, but Angela and I did. Uh, Not huge believers in what he's up to, but um, I'm just curious your thoughts on him, if you've had the chance to see the movie, and if not, um, how does he come off in the book um, based on what you've read?
0: like Everybody in this book seems genuine. Like there's nobody in this book that is presented in a light that says, "Hey, I'm a complete and total fraud." With Damien, it's the fact that he's been seeing this his entire life, and like I don't know how far his narrative has gone out. I don't know. Like I I I haven't watched the documentary. We'll get to so that in I, a second. I uh, yeah, I I haven't seen it, so I I don't really know. But like the the thing is, is like he he has these really human feelings about it and they're like at first they're like you know fear and 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 anxiety over it and then they you know it it transforms into this more empathetic kind of view towards people and like he doesn't fear it as much so like if i have that to go with i'm I'm, i i don't clearly have the broad spectrum here of of seeing the documentary so like all i could say is in the book it seems genuine okay
3: so what happened? So I started the book. The first chapter was great um, with everything. With He talked about the bartender, and I've said that. And then we get to this chapter, and the first person he brings up is Damien Knott. And I say, Oh, no. Oh, no. Damien Knott. Uh, in episode 18 of Double Density, Brian and I uh, did something, a segment called Alien Cinema, where we watched Australian skies. Uh, and if you watch that, you're gonna come away thinking that. Um, although the the documentary filmmakers tried their best with Damien, uh both Brian and I came away with thinking this guy's a complete kook. He yeah. he sees UFOs and things that are not UFOs, where it's clearly like a bag in the sky or possibly a drone or whatever. And he is. It was just a really frustrating experience watching that show. Like at one point, the, the in the movie there. At night, something happens to a garbage bin or something. And they all freak out. What could have happened? And both Brian and I said, well, they're in Australia. There's all kinds of crazy animals in Australia that could have done a number of different things to this garbage can to make it move at night. It was very, they, they tried to basically pigeonhole everything into like some sort of phenomenon that seems to be following Damien. And um, of all the experiencers in this book, he's the least credible in my opinion. Luckily, the rest of the book is is great and I had no trouble with anybody else. Again, though, I don't know their story. So just, it's the way Ryan uh, writes this and he even says it, he's not judging any of these people. He's not saying that they're right or wrong or whatever, he's just presenting the story and I like the way he does that. So you came away with a different impression of Damien not because you don't have this bias towards him because uh, you watched Australian Skies. Um, but I know Brian and I came away with that.
0: So he's kind of like the, in, in a similar vein to the, the courage of the man who sees UFOs.
3: I, I would equate him more like he's the Stan Romanek of Australia.
2: <laughs> okay, That's quite a thing God to say.
1: Damn. What do you mean? You've never Photoshopped alien children into your family photos, guys. Come on. Uh,
2: let's not talk about <laughs> really children <laughs> photos and Sam Rome neck, please. Uh,
1: very good point, <laughs> Sam. Uh, uh, let's concentrate on Damien Knot. So Sam, have you seen Australian no,
2: skies? No, I, one of my favorite podcasts for a while still now. I just don't have time is mysterious universe. And he's been on there like 35 times. Um, and I don't know. I've never seen his stuff whenever he is on there. It, it, seems credible it seems good uh but even then it's probably been a year or more since i've i've heard one of the interviews with him so i couldn't really say
1: right for me like one of the things is like i sometimes i wonder if he sees things and unfortunately like he realizes he sees things so he decides to like um blow them up a bit more than they're, they, they should you know just in order to sort of like continually have Um, things to talk about and to sort of like stay in the news cycle. So, you know, like there may be a basis in truth there, but unfortunately like, um, it's taken to such an extreme that it's, it's very questionable because of like the regularity and intensity in which he does um, seem to attract, um, UFOs to him. Yeah, he sees balloons and bags in the sky flying, and he
3: thinks they're UFOs because they're silent and just floating in the sky. But in the movie, I think he zooms in on things, and you can clearly see it's just like a bag or a balloon. But he's, he then comes onto the screen and says, it can't be a bag or it can't be a balloon. Those don't move that way. Uh, he's just a whole frustrating experience for me whenever I see him. So right. Yeah, he, he upsets
1: me. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, I want to get you frustrated tonight, Angela. That's like my whole plan is to slowly lead you to a point where you sort of like uh, go on a rant or swear. Throw my microphone on the ground and just smash my computer. I feel like that's the real point of UFO Book Club is to get someone angry uh, to the point where they just want to rage quit.
2: I already went through that. <laughs> so. Yeah, the last episode. <laughs> no, I've already gone through it today with uh Angela Oh, really? And you're back. Jason. So <laughs> I I did oh, a good okay. job there. Yeah, you did. Yep. I was really mad at you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: uh here's a, qu- a question for you guys and i think one of the things that sprague does really well i'm trying to be an adult here guys and uh tie this all together but apparently we want to talk about um feelings uh how you feel about each other about your own podcast uh co-host angelo i tolerate you i think you're okay uh, hey man i love my uh, co-host you're a good guy
2: he's just irritating so
0: that's fine. i'll just say my my co-host is a jackass he's just terrible that guy doesn't know you what he's doing <laughs>
2: he's he's the worst exactly he's talking about himself <laughs> or is this rob's, like a uh,
1: rob's a new podcast living with myself up next uh wait here, rob rob podcast. yeah is
2: this a tyler durden thing do you not know that you Ooh. are your ufo guy Shit, that's a good question.
0: Um, Mr. No, I I have Mr. many I have many per- <laughs> No, I have many personalities including the UFO guy. Um, I am in a rap trio with um the guys from What If I am um Little Baby Chubby Drinks, if you if you want the full name. Um, Ryan is um Little Baby Salmon Man and Spencer is Little Baby Monkey God. So that's our uh that's our rap trio. So I am many different things. When is your first song coming out? Uh we're we're, we're you know, deep in the studio right now. Um <laughs> we just took a break to record this, so uh uh you know you can expect it uh or maybe July, August. Okay, second. okay, okay. I think that's a good time for Robert Paulson.
2: Yeah. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> All right, I'm done I with think, that. I'm a, I'm yeah. over the more that. I listen
1: to Sam, the more I want to believe that you know that Rob has like people facets of himself that live on the internet. Oh man, I like you this. I like this theory. I like this theory. You don't know
2: Rob the way I know Rob. He's he's unknowable. Are you one even. of?
1: Wait, hold on. Are you one of Rob's personalities?
2: Oh god! Oh god! We can't get into that here. Oh, no
1: we can't get into that and
0: uh there will be a lawyer um coming to both and assist my good man immediately yeah, yeah. all right well um, i'm gonna i'm gonna I, move oh, on I, I forgot to talk about the uh the one aspect of myself where i am champ the lake champlain lake <laughs> monster yep. on twitter so um yeah um, do you want wait, to show your social you? now? yes that is me oh
2: <laughs> i can't believe you just outed yourself rob
0: I audited myself months ago. I couldn't do it anymore. Not after Sandra Mancy oh, yeah, died. That's Rest true. in peace, peace, Sandra. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. Uh,
1: do you want to yell out your Twitter handle right now as Champ? What is Champ's Twitter handle? Uh, it's at uh, Large Lake Champs. Nice. Perfect. Uh, and uh, similarly uh sam do you want to yell out uh, jason's twitter handle because he's not here right yeah now?
2: jason's twitter handle is at mighty moit i'm gonna spell that it's m-i-g-h-t-y-m-o-i-t mighty moit we always call him uh we call him moist toast so you could uh send that
0: to- <laughs> <laughs> moist toast yes he'd that's really, the nickname really that, uh, that. i remember you he he sent me like a death tweet after i uh tweeted him about that from the patreon episode like That's months fair. ago yeah he, he didn't no, take he it well that.
1: so what i want you guys to do is everyone listening to this like um uh, go get a hootsuite account uh and go ahead and start scheduling tweets at jason for like a good week see where this goes
2: good good
1: and uh sam let us know uh, how that goes yeah, on our behalf please you got it. <laughs> uh, uh, trying to get back to the book, though, and I think that is why we're here, but probably not why we're here the more I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> I think Sprague does a really, really good job of sort of like tying themes together. I'm not sure if it's done consciously or subconsciously, but there was a string of of encounters um, sort of like in the middle and um, midpoints of the book where uh, many encounters have a water element to them. And like it's it's a feature that comes up time and time again. Either um, UFOs were seen on the water or people were on lakes or fishing and they have to to encounter um these crafts so i'm curious like what do you is there a connotation there is there a reason why like water is so prominent in a lot of this
2: oh yeah dude oh yeah like if you look at um i want to say it's godfrey's linda godfrey's most recent book monsters among us she makes she charts out or at least oh hey
1: i just ordered that so oh, dude that's it's so awesome. good.
2: it's so good she um does an amazing job of cataloging every single sighting that that takes place. And one of the things that she catalogs is whether or not there was moving water. It's it's something that especially so with the UFOs, definitely it happens. But with um other more nature-based things, things like Bigfoot, things like the wolf men, these these encounters always, almost always have some aspect of running water. And it has to be running. It's not just a a str- or a lake or it's not just a pond. It's something about the movement of water. And who can say what it is? But, you know, if it if it creates some sort of current or what, I'm not a scientist by any means. But yes, <laughs> there's there's a tried and true connection between moving water and the paranormal.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that, especially when you look at UFO sightings in like the top five states. They're all like right next mm-hmm. to the ocean. California, Washington, New York down towards New York City, Florida, they're all they're all right there. Um, Ryan had uh, Linda or Cheryl Costa on his podcast recently, and she talked about how um, in New York, there is a centering of UFO sightings around the St. Lawrence River Um, and and which is kind of weird because, like, you have the. By the ocean, sightings there's plenty of them, but uh, just near that like waterway, there's like a large sampling of them. So yeah, I've I've always found that interesting. And like even if you want to like venture into Albert Bender territory and like you know proceed with caution, but like when you read uh, the Flying Saucers and the Three Men by him, he talks about how when the the uh, aliens that he was interacting with that somehow looked like the flatwoods monster. He said that they had this base in Antarctica and what they were doing there is they were like converting salt water into energy. So for whatever reason, water plays a huge part in UFO sightings. Uh, it's, it's one of those baffling parts of all of this. That's just, you don't know how to connect the dots, and I mean, Amber and Andrew are are covering uh, the Great Lakes Triangle. There's tons of UFO sightings around the Great Lakes. Water, man, what the hell's up with it? Do they? Do they? <laughs> do they need to? to the, are they? Are they? Are these aliens? The moisture based. Yo, don't don't uh, don't don't. don't, 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 they don't. Are. Oh,
1: I thought you were gonna bring up the movie Signs, and I was gonna get real mad. About no, it.
0: I'm not. I wasn't gonna bring up Signs. Okay. why don't you up- okay, want
2: to okay, bring up okay, Signs? Okay, okay. Cool What's <laughs> <now>? your problem? <laughs> <laughs> it a bad it's movie. The it's the a real bad movie. movie. I've never seen Signs, but I'm gonna watch it in a month. So you I'll should. You know.
1: And then when you come back to me and go, Brian, you're right. The logical fallacy at the end of the movie is it is is horrible. A huge logical fallacy.
2: Here's something fun about me, guys. I have the worst taste in everything in the world. So I will probably really love the movie signs
1: there. And, and we talked about this, I think with Rob during the Falcon Lake episode, but there's like a two minute segment or like a, like a minute and a half segment that we can all agree is like the best part of the movie. And I'm curious to see if you'll agree that it's also the best part of the yeah. movie. No spoilers.
2: All right. No spoilers. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I, I
3: just want to channel uh, my inner Jason. No, and, no, here we go. Uh, and just, uh, it's just as a counterpoint here. It is normally darker around bodies of water, so people's senses Uh, are more uh, (laughs) light. You know, they tend to see things more, and like you're more prone to misidentifying things in more remote areas. Also, Swamp Gas.
0: I'm going to counter that with, um, in my short time on the internal review board at the uh,
1: Dumbass Uh, MoveOn organization. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. Is Dumbass now a new acronym?
0: It it, it it it's gonna be. We'll figure, we'll it, figure, out. figure it out. It's yeah. called Fun. <laughs> hey Angela, good Demufan, news. Good news. Yeah. You can show yourself out
1: now. Yeah. <laughs> he's hip from the '90s. He's uh, awesome. Yeah, he's got dad jokes galore, guys. Don't worry. He's got a whole bag of them. That I fear every episode I record with him.
2: <laughs> well, okay then.
0: He's he's just he's just endless. He's got it's a whole bag of tricks. But I literally just had to check the-
1: his Skype uh, chat to make sure that he didn't actually like rage quit.
2: I'm here. He's there. Oh, He's there.
0: Yeah. Okay. There. Uh, one of the um, cases that I looked at, uh, and it was from February of this past year, was this person who, it was at night, but what they basically saw, and it, it wasn't in a large body of water. I want to say it was a smaller lake. I can't remember exactly, but they actually saw these green orbs under the water just doing these weird maneuvers. So take that. Angelo, Jason,
1: whatever you want to call yourself. (laughs) J'Angelo? (laughs) J'Angelo. Whoa. So uh, this is sort of an Angelo-centric question because I feel like he'll have a lot to say about this. But in Chapter 6, Sprague does a really uh, great job of sort of exploring like how – In the social sciences, like the idea of like ufology and the study of UFOs is very commonplace. But from a pure um, physical standpoint, the idea of ufology isn't really explored, right? So how do we bridge the gap? It's clear that the study of UFOs or other topics generally dismissed by the sort of like establishment, quote unquote, um, is pushed to the fringes. And how do we sort of like uh, fix that? And can we fix that? Is there a way in which we can uh, bring a more scientific approach Uh, to you, and I feel like all of you have really good answers on this based on your relationships with a lot of fellow podcasters.
3: The the problem lies in the fact that some of the people at the forefront of getting the information out there are uh, not the easiest uh, people to deal with, such as uh, Stephen Greer. He's out there. He's got a few documentaries. People seem to gravitate towards him, but he's completely wrong on most things and he's not a good ambassador to this he's been trying for years to get the disclosure that he wants but it's never going to happen all the real good science communicators are uh, are more skeptical about ufo's because like me they're they're more they want something that's more concrete than just anecdotal evidence which is most of what's out there, unfortunately. Ufology needs like its own Neil deGrasse Tyson, somebody who's really uh, charismatic and can ab- and is able to really teach people about things. And unfortunately, we get stuck with things like Stephen Greer and uh, our friend Tom DeLonge. So what you're saying is that it's not a science problem, it's an image problem. Yeah, because if they could get a good scientist who has some decent backing and can look at this, uh objectively then maybe there'd be uh somebody to be able to present this to just the common people out there unfortunately every time this is brought up in any sort of news capacity like the x-files theme plays behind
2: this i halfway agree with angelo that it is an image problem more than a science problem or whatever the alternative was there it's more of an image problem and and one of the best things, like we were just talking about with Mufon, is the idea that that there are people embedded in ufology that simply don't, or at least are not as vocal when they are embedded in other facets of society. One of really good good uh, or bad, I guess, example of this is that guy. What's his name? Rob from Mufon. The reason why we all quit. <laughs> John Ventre. John Ventre, who just said some really racist things. And then because he was so high up in Mufon, they just kind of like covered it up and and just hoped that it would ignore it. And everyone did ignore it. And everyone thought he was gone. And then guess what? He's not. And so that's why Chris had to separate from Mufon. We separated as well with Chris. But I think that it's it's that ufology can a lot of times attract the undesirables um and especially when you're looking at things like ancient aliens ancient astronaut theory that kind of stuff really does straddle a line of racism to say that like cuz yes you hear people say that like oh aliens built stonehenge but you don't hear it as much i guess the ones that you really hear is that aliens built the pyramids aliens built gobekli tepe aliens built all of these places that non-white people were right because before white people there was never anything so all of that aside okay that's the first image problem we have is just the amount of people flocking to ufology and using it as a, a roundabout to to say their their undesirable things the second image problem that we do have is is just the baked into it that that we cannot, I don't know, for me, it's just a cosmic thing. It's just cosmic that we will never be able to be taken seriously until such a day as the aliens actually show up. Because uh, Angelo's over here saying that if, you know, we had somebody who um, was more respectable and more science, but you have you have UFO dad, right? You have Jay Allen Hynek. You have Johnny Mac. You have these, these well-studied, People who over the years have really laid the foundations of ufology, and yet they are gone, and even when they were alive, they were still being ridiculed. There is something that happens when as soon as a person says ufology, it doesn't matter if they've spent 35 years studying all of the other things it could be because the ufo is so far out of the realm of possibility for so many people there is absolutely no way to give it scientific credibility on the widespread scale otherwise we would have already had it in addition to the undesirables in addition to this this way that it's simply such a turnoff for science in general i really do believe and i i can't say why but i think it's just a part of it i think that that the UFO is not meant to be a mainstream thing. It's not meant to be readily accepted by everyone that the the aliens are here, because if that's what they wanted, they would just show up in Manhattan. They would just descend, say, what's up, everybody? You'd have somebody talking about Project Bluebeam. But other than that guy, everyone would be on the same page about it, right? I feel like once that happens, if that happens, we'll see. But up until that time, it's just not what's supposed to be.
3: Well, you brought up a good point with Chris leaving MUFON. Somebody like Chris Codswell in there was somebody with good credibility. He's a great science communicator. And I think him leaving MUFON actually gives him more credibility because he left for all the right reasons. He was only there for a short time, unfortunately. But when he announced that he was leaving, I was kind of happy to see the reason why Mm -hmm. he was leaving because it was for all the good reasons And it lends more credibility to him. And maybe on his his own, with his really good podcast, and uh, the way he communicates this stuff, we have an actual credible scientist talking about this in a credible way. And I I think Chris is more on my spectrum of things with how skeptical he is about UFOs in general. And I pretty much agree with everything he says usually. (laughs) So uh, well, yeah, because we come from the same school of thought when it comes
1: to the paranormal, but not literally the same school though.
0: The only time I have ever disagreed with him on anything. And I didn't state it at the time, but uh, when we did that second Mm. meltdown and he just went on a tirade about cattle mutilations for about 25 minutes, I just kind of wanted to say Chris, Chris, stop yeah. <laughs> for one and like don't get me wrong i have a deep respect for chris but there is one thing that i've heard him say more than uh like twice and he's like i am not strong in biology and like chris if you're not strong in biology bud i'm not going to totally agree and say that they, they die from natural phenomenon i'm not going to discredit right every single cattle rancher who you think doesn't understand what a decaying this is what like. these people's
2: no, lives sorry. are. Is dying cattle.
3: Yeah, literally.
2: And and he's the
3: first to say when he is not like an expert in something, which is great. That's what we need. Somebody like that. And uh yeah, I, I like I said, I usually agree with him on pretty much everything. And Brian, yes, we did not go to the same schools. I have a bachelor of fine arts. He has a PhD in some sort of crazy science.
1: Would you want to go to night school though if you want
3: if you could? Or are you too busy podcasting? <laughs> I have no interest in going back
1: to school. I'm happy with what I'm doing. I enjoy my current career. And uh, yeah, no. But dude, just think you'd be opening yourself up to many other people who use Mac laptops that you could have chats with.
3: That's true. Are we going back to this, Brian? No. Yes, absolutely.
2: <laughs> he's gonna, absolutely. He's,
3: he's
0: going to make you do it. He's going to make you do <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to just apply uh, <laughs> to the university
3: and then uh, study some science. Perfect.
1: I love the drive.
0: Yeah, I, I do too. I think. Um, in, in in the book, uh, Dr. Robert Davis, uh, who's uh, an audiologist of all all things, but I think he has like one of the best takes on it in that in saying that um, there needs to be a multidisciplinary scientific approach to yeah. this, where you're where you're studying a broad spectrum of science, where it's you know the hardcore stuff, the psychology, like all that kind of stuff, because. Science hasn't been on board with the UFO phenomenon from the start. Neither has journalism until uh, just last year. Science like followed suit with the government, yeah. basically. yeah, The government is now saying that it is worthy to study this. Now science should be saying the same thing. Because if it followed suit in the first place, it should keep following suit. That's That's just me, but I feel like there does need we need to look at this seriously and i and i and i've believed that for a long time and that's what chris was trying to do and the mufon fucked it up they just <laughs> yeah completely completely messed it up but like
1: chapter 6 of this book gave me so much hope dude future, absolutely you know? and that's that's specifically wanted so, to bring it up because it's this weird paradox in that like you'd think that people um in the pure sciences would want to spend more time uh looking at these really really weird objects like for example like your uh, spirit guide Lenny alani's or more like there's a lot of like weird physical evidence there and you'd think a scientist would want to jump at that in terms of being able to look it over and sort of figure things out or just at the idea of like beginning to look and figure things out but there's like this weird reticence where they feel like it's it's tainted almost unfortunately
0: yeah uh, and and it's a crying shame it really is um we we need to get over like the stigmas here. We, we we do. like in all honesty, we need to push aside the da- the the Steven Greer's, we need to push aside the um David Icke mania and all that crap and just look at this from the approach that it deserves. I feel and like
1: your it, UFO dad is 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 just like winking down at you right now as you say this.
0: Uh I hope I hope he is. I hope I'm making him proud. Um and uh and I really hope uh some good stuff is forthcoming despite the fact that Tom DeLong shot himself in the foot going on the Joe Rogan experience. I think uh to a certain extent, uh Louis Elizondo has kinda saved them a little bit in terms of uh what they're trying to do. There are still some things that I'm not entirely happy that they're doing one thing that is completely frustrating that nobody has talked about is the fact that when they have presented all three of those videos on their website there is not one iota uh, of information given about how they have arrived at their conclusions it's just here is the video here's what's in the video this is what we found how did you find that yeah absolutely if I feel like they're kind of missing the boat in that one, they're, they're trying to be the science organization without being the science organization. So they don't want to do like a white paper. They would rather do a documentary or a book. Yeah. Well, I feel like you should be sitting on that information until it's in a book, until I, and until I can read it and then view it and to figure out how you arrived at your conclusions. Right. I will give them props for the uh, Atacama skeleton.
1: Um, Suck on it, Greer. (laughs) And that's literally the point I just wanted to make: is that like uh, Gary Nolan did sort of use to the stars to sort of announce his newer set of findings of the Atacama skeleton, which I thought was like definitely added some legitimacy. Because I remember you had shared um, that link to us in our our group DMs, and I figured like it was going to be like this like crazy fantastical thing, and really it was. Science-based, factual, um, yeah. and, you know, un- yeah. unfortunately, uh, just – or fortunately, I guess, just, you know, it's a sad case of a, a misshapen human being um, at the end of the day. But I do think that, like, that adds a bit of gravitas to, uh, like, the the two the, the, the Stars sort of, like, brand – um, of what they want to do. And something that I quickly wanted to note, actually, um, more so about Angelo and, and Chris, because I've listened to the Mad Scientist podcast uh, on a regular basis, I feel like the word skeptical doesn't necessarily have to preclude the idea of wanting to believe, it's just the idea of, of the threshold of evidence presented needs to be there. Like It's not totally a negative experience, it's a wanting to, but then checking yourself about like what you need in order to, to feel like this is validated.
0: Yeah, and we haven't arrived at what the standards are yet we haven't even we haven't even gotten to that point we've total the, the the scientific community has totally dismissed it to the point where they don't even want to acknowledge what counts as um scientific evidence and i think we need to start looking at that and saying well this is going to count or like the, this is going to count but i think that also comes into um, a, a more beneficial role in a multidisciplinary study so I think we're still a a bit away from getting to that at least.
1: I definitely agree with that. Uh, Switching gears to something we were talking about before that I kind of wanted to sort of expand on and get your guys' thoughts on this, both um, using the framework of a lot of the encounters in the book, as well as just generally speaking. um, There seems to be a divide in between and – you know, talking about Travis Walton, for example, like between like one time visitations versus like lifelong experiencers. And it, I, I I can't figure out the criteria because the more I was reading all of these different experiences, I couldn't figure out what the, where the similarities lied in terms of like who these people were and why, um, you know, uh, they had been abducted or, you know, had encounters multiple times all, along their life. And I was just curious, what makes these people so desirable to multiple encounters versus like a one time encounter?
0: Wow, that's the... uh that's a that's a million dollar question right there, if I may, mm-hmm.
2: let me reply with a similarly unanswerable question. Oh Brian, why is there something rather than nothing?
1: That's an interesting question uh do you mean just like on a vague conceptual level like existence versus non existence?
2: I mean that there are there are studies done based on how we think that the Big Bang bang happened, and then antimatter versus antimatter. There are studies done that pretty much prove that it is more probable that we are not actually here right now than that we are, and yet we are here. And why is that? You're going back to the simulation well. No, not necessarily. Okay. The point that I'm trying to make is that we are here because we are here. If we weren't Here, I wouldn't be able to ask that question, regardless of the the answer. These people are abducted because they are abducted. If they weren't abducted, we wouldn't know that they were abducted and about the aliens. I truly don't believe there's a single thing that's special about any single one of them. I think that um I think it is Streber who says that that when he had his experience, the beings joked with him. And and kind of poking fun said, Oh, you're the chosen one. And he knew that that they were saying that to be facetious, which it's interesting to think about the aliens being facetious. But he he knew that they were there just saying, Oh, well, this is what the the humans think is that people who have these kinds of experiences are special. So let's just tell him he's special and and maybe he'll believe that. I really think and if you ever have seen Dark Skies, one of the only horror movies I'll watch because it has to do with aliens. It he does. The guy in that the the alien expert basically says there's no reason. It just you are just randomly chosen.
3: Is that the one with the birds smashing into the house?
2: Yes. It's pretty spooky. For me, that's what I have to believe is that there's there's no inherent because if you look at a a number of encounters and granted again i did not read this book so i'm talking about the more historically well-known ones there doesn't seem to be anything inherently remarkable about any of these people before they are abducted
3: that's a really good point actually there's they're just normal people in most cases uh the person that sticks out the most to me in this book is uh mike cleland uh, he's had a lot of experiences, and he talks about some of them in the book. Uh, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, but he he is somebody who does talk about owls. Yes, in an interesting context that will
2: not infuriate Sam. Sorry, Sam. I know. I know a little about Mike Clown, so that I understand
0: the way he kind of presents owls is that they are not there as like a memory, like. A, a hidden portion of our memory. They're more there to remind us that something important happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he just kind of reversed it a little bit.
3: Yeah. I, I just like appreciate that. He seems to host these weekends for experiencers to kind of get to know each other. To me, that was one of the more interesting chapters of the book when, uh, also the stuff that's happened to him. I'd be horrified.
0: That was the weird thing because he talked about one of his experiences mm-hmm. And the fact that he, um, it was one night he was laying in bed and he saw a bright light outside and he saw five beings approaching the house. And instead of going into a panic, he just
3: went back to sleep. I'm just getting spine tingled just hearing that right now.
0: Yeah. Because he's like, I need to shut myself down and like, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But like, to me, I think one of the most fascinating aspects of this is like, when they talk about like the the dream like stuff like what if like these visual cues of seeing aliens are just like signals that they're sending to us that like, hey, this isn't totally a 100 percent physical thing, but we're here and we're going to do what we need to do. So we're going to send you these actual visual visual cues. You're, no- you're going to know what you need to do. And uh, in his case, you know, it was going to sleep.
3: Well, that's an interesting uh, idea, actually, that I've never heard proposed.
0: The thing about like seeing these beings and 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 seeing these craft is like they almost represent language in a way, in 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 some kind of way. Whether it's just a, a visual cue of some kind, or it's actually discerning meaning from whatever you're seeing uh one interesting aspect cuz i had i'm having rich adam on the on the podcast and we've already recorded it but uh one interesting theory that he proposed is like uh a lot of times people will see uh, ufo's falling in a uh leaf like a leafwood and he proposed the idea that maybe that was kind of like there to kind of hypnotize you when i ta- when i've talked about my my first ufo sighting it kind of had that kind of vibe because realistically it was just this orange light that would keep turning on and off. And it just kept going in a side to side motion uh, to the point where I just lost interest in it. I was like, it was so, it was so damn weird. So the visual cue aspect, I think is one that a lot of people don't talk about and might not even just think about, but like as visual cues as language, uh, I think that there's, they're there. Like I think there's compelling stuff there for sure.
1: Circling back to what you were saying, Sam, and what you first were asking me, I don't necessarily disbelieve um, the idea of it is, therefore it is. I was just throwing out the idea maybe of seeing if there's a common thread that I've perhaps missed or, you know, something out there that, you know, that uh, links these people together apart from being human beings. And I think it's a really interesting question. And uh, maybe we do spend a little bit too much time searching for meaning when there isn't necessarily much meaning and just to accept the fact that like, it is, um, therefore it is.
2: Well, see now I'm gonna sound like Jason, and I'm gonna say that human beings how do you how do you sound like Jason? Let me thank you for that. Nope, nothing's working. okay. Human beings <laughs> they find patterns <laughs> when there are none. That's like the other half of Jason's arguments is that that you see something and it's kind of like something you know, but it's a little different. And so actually, in this week's episode, he he touches on this cuz we talk about the goat man uh and and he talks about mythological hybrids and stuff and how it's something that you kind of know but it's a little different so your brain just fills in the gaps and suddenly boom you got half man right. and half goat it's i i really feel like we run the risk of of that and of trying to say then from there even to the point where if if we try to identify Traits and regardless of if they're there or not, it could actually end up doing harm to people by saying, "Well, if everybody, right? I know that that the most alien or the statistically the best time to see a UFO is after seven p.m. on Wednesday in less pop, populated areas. That's that's a, a statistical fact. If we come up,
0: that's a John yeah, Keel yeah, thing.
2: <laughs> if we come up with a um. Similar thing for human beings and the type of abductee, you may run the risk of of essentially freaking people out and tainting right. your own data set before it's even started, right? So right. I don't know. For me, and that's just a personal thing, just based on everything I've seen. I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to belittle you in any way, other than the other ways that I guess I probably already have. I can't remember the last two hours very well. But beyond that, it really is just my belief that this is random and potentially it's because they want to get the good sample size. You know, they don't want too many similar people or people with that that common thread between them
1: right well one of angelo's favorite words though is is pareidolia right mm-hmm. which is the idea of seeing yeah. patterns in random data so i thought that he was going to yell that out as you were sort of explaining this i'm sad that he's very respectful <laughs> and didn't i thought it. Um, which is a bummer <laughs> and i feel like i just cut rob off so sorry about that rob you were about to say something
0: i there is one argument that i will make to that and that's the idea that they run in families mm. why do they run that's in fair. families that's then? fair uh, that's that's the only argument that I can make uh, because there, it, when you look at the data set, when you look at the demographics, you look at gender. Um, like Kathleen Martin did a a study. I, I want to say it was like uh, in 2011, 2012 or something like that, and wrote a paper on it where she basically gathered a group of. Abductees sent them questionnaires. A group of non abductees sent them questionnaires, did a whole statistical thing. And like the problem was, is that I, th- the data is problematic. The only thing that uh, she could really draw were like a few different things, like women being abducted more than men. You know, that may be true. I don't know. But the only thing that we know just by looking at the data is that it runs in families for whatever reason. And mm. like, there's one interesting, um, I think it was in, uh, the chapter that takes place in my hometown, uh, because, uh, realistically there were only two, I, I don't know if Mike's Mike Cleland's partner is an abductee. I mean, they met at a conference, but I, it, it wasn't clear in the thing, but there were only technically two or three abductees in there one of them one of the people that was there wasn't an abductee but he was interested in the subject and the girl's name was Rachel and and they asked her about her experiences and like she was afraid of sleeping in her own bed so she would sleep in her parents room on the floor and one evening she saw this being like looking out from her dad's dresser and uh, it ended up taking her, and I think she ended up blacking out, but like she got angry at her dad, and she turned to her dad and said, Why didn't you do anything? And he said,
3: I couldn't, I was too afraid. Mm,
2: wow. So, oh, yeah, I, remember, yeah, I right. remember that one. Yeah, oh, God,
0: no. so yeah, this yeah. stuff is yeah.
1: that stuff creeps me out when I when
0: it, it, when you yeah.
1: when yeah, yeah, when you
0: hear stuff like that. And once again, yeah, it's, it's, that, it's,
1: it's that human element, right? That isn't necessarily covered in a lot of like the procedurally minded books either.
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing, and like when you go read John Mack, like. The way that he lays it out in the first 50 pages of abduction, it's just like he's got it down to kind of a science. He pulls, you know, from every which which way possible. And it is so damn terrifying. And it's just and it's always this connection to like the high strangeness aspects where it's so illogical that you you can't even fully connect the dots. You don't even have the ability to do that because it it follows a sequential pattern where it can't make sense to you. Right. Um, So there really are no, sets for predicting who is an, who makes a good abductee and who doesn't other than side from the fact that it runs in families for
1: whatever reason. So the criteria here is just human. And even then, like if you want to get into it with the chupacabra or, you know, uh, settings of the chupacabra around UFO, um, events too. And the idea of like cattle abduction and mutilation, like there's like that whole other confluence of, of that, uh, two that exists out there in the world, if you believe it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, my final question uh, of this section is um, something that actually, Rob, I feel like you're, you've hacked me and stolen uh, my questions because I feel like we're very closely aligned in what I wanted to talk about tonight. And it's the idea of these abductions as something else than like physical manifestations, right? And like the idea of like, if it's not purely a physical version of the extraterrestrial hypothesis, like what could these experiences be and you kind of touched on the idea of them being a manifestation of of language or connection almost and i thought that was super fascinating to think about when you start thinking about the craft itself as a uh a communicator or being a conduit of um culture almost i was curious uh to pick your guys brains as to you know if it's not purely physical then like what else uh could it be out there if we want to get like weird with it
3: well rob really nailed it with that interesting hypothesis he has because i had never heard of that idea before and it sort of like rings true it's it's not something that's i mean it's it's aliens electing people so i guess it's out there but it's it's something that's if this is happening it's not a bad way of explaining it
0: yeah um <laughs> <laughs> um it, it's definitely it's for me, it's a different way to look at it, it because, like, I, I've not, I haven't found anything satisfying uh, at this point. Like, there was an interesting idea that they touched on that, um, uh, I'm gonna call him Shaman Tom but just because, yeah. like, uh, uh, for Sam, because we had Shaman John, yeah, that kind of that rubs me podcast,
2: wrong, but whatever, that's fine. <laughs> uh,
0: I know, I know, but like, one of the things that Shaman Tom touches on is that in the shamanic world, like most of what you're interacting with is non-human and it doesn't look like anything you've really ever seen before. But one of the things that he touched on was the fact that like what these things are in his estimation are messengers and some people get the message a lot easier than others. That's why like when you talk about um, uh, that guy, Michael, who became the minister His experiences lasted, I think, like less than a year, maybe like six months. And like he didn't have any previous uh, it, it didn't connect to like childhood or anything like that. It was just he ended up he was woken by this bright light one day one evening after he got home from a trip. And there was this short gray being at the end of his bed and it was glowing. And from there he had these experiences, and like they the, the the thing is is like he doesn't go Sprague doesn't go into depth on a lot of the, a lot of these experiences, some of them he does, but like his Michael michaels he didn't, and we don't know the full range of what he experienced, but like yeah, there was like as it like Angelo said, he was shown a picture of uh two hands in uh, in prayer and a lightning bolt going between them and yeah, it's just I'm losing my train of thought here, but (laughs) it's getting late. (laughs) It is. It is getting it is getting late. But uh, the idea that they're messengers of some kind coming in a different form and they have something important to tell you. And sometimes and like, here's the thing. They're really poor at conveying the message because we're not we're not made to understand it easily. Well, They also scare the
3: hell out of us. Well, they do, but, like... But do you think they even understand that, though? No, that's the thing. They probably don't.
0: No, and, like, that's the thing, is, like, they're at a different level than we are. So their means of communication are not going to be the same. The fact that they even understand and can speak English is kind of frightening.
3: Well, yeah, and that's where I start losing, like, where things start losing credibility with them it's like you know in star trek they all speak english i guess maybe they have some sort of communicator again those little aliens with their little slit of a mouth uh putting thoughts in our brains makes me upset
1: well yeah because you don't want them to do that to you i mean i understand i understand what about you sam what do you think if it's not actually physically a manifestation of things like what could it be Mm. and why does it impact people so much
2: fair So let's let's do this. The first thing is kind of how uh, how I lean, which is not to say that this is necessarily what I actually believe, but it's just kind of what pops up in my head more often than not, is that you said we're getting weird here. So and it kind of follows similarly to our good UFO daddies Uh, thought process as well as well reportedly near the end of his life is that these aren't fully physical they may be partially physical but they are the majority of them is actually not physical and and even verging onto the idea that these things occur within the minds of the observers but in such a way that does not necessarily prohibit them from being real Okay, so one of the the best examples I have of this, and I've talked about it multiple times on Not Alone and and other podcasts, is Woodrow Derenberger. My boy, Woody. Mm-hmm. And he is such a, a fascinating thing because his story is just cooked out. His story just is of these beautiful, busty aliens taking him to a planet where no one wears clothes and, like, it's a groovy time. And it is the sort of thing that, to me, just sounds completely ridiculous until you see just the ruin that happened to Woodrow Derenberger because of this. Like, yeah, he had his his short-term fame, but at the end of his life, like, he was not really doing very well. And what you have are specific instances where Derenberger claims that he was abducted and taken to the planet of Lanulos. At least one of these was actually witnessed by another individual who was essentially driving with him in a car. And Derenberger, I don't believe he was at the wheel, hopefully. Derenberger passes out for like five to ten minutes. He then comes to and he says, Oh, I I I what just happened? I was in Lanulos. Did they take me out of the car or whatever? And his friend says, no, you just passed out. Now, on the very base level, it sounds like Lanulos is a a literal dream that Darren Berger is having. But potentially, we see where if these creatures or beings or entities or whatever are not physical, if they are simply intellectual and 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 or not intellectual but mental or projections psychic projections that's where we see that just because it's not happening doesn't mean it's not real right and that to mm. me that's one of the most likely explanations here for for so many reasons now the other one That I really, and and by the way, with that, you look again at at Strieber, who I'm actually going to talk about again. It's weird that I didn't say Whitley Strieber when I said favorite abduction, because he's definitely my favorite abductee. But. Strieber, again, has this this communication of this source of the consciousness, this source of the consciousness that creates these meat vessels and then has it does its bidding. And it would essentially be right that that source of consciousness reaches out and touches Darren Berger in the mind and takes it to where he wants it to go. So that's the first side. Who knows if it's in a different dimension or if it's in this dimension, it's just smarter than us or whatever completely different life form. Sorry.
1: Can I interject for a yes, quick sex? Please, please. As sort of like a follow up. So, you know, in the abduction case you just described, uh, do you think the mind can actually exist in two places? Uh, can the, f- physical body be split because you're describing a waking as well as um a seemingly sleeping type of person right so it existing in two states so i'm kind of curious um if you've given that any thought and i'm scared because i feel like now i'm opening up a vortex into like a whole other discussion (laughs) so (laughs) of like the physical
2: so good question good follow-up so again He does not have to travel to Lanulos in any real aspect to have traveled to Lanulos. However, I am more under the... uh, Fuck, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I am more (laughs) of the opinion that consciousness is something that is transmitted and received by the human body rather than consciousness being created inherently in the human body itself, right? So the, the analogy here is a radio what's what what happens with a radio you have five million different little pieces nothing happens until that last piece goes in suddenly it it starts playing sound and noises and it lights up and all of this Is it that these pieces together has created the sound, the noise, the lights, and all of that, or is it that that final piece essentially opens it up and allows it to receive the signal? Now, in a radio, we know that that is what happens, and for the human consciousness, I— a part of me, even outside of simulation theory, even thinking that this is a real naturally occurring universe, although if we believe in a creator, could anything truly be naturally occurring? Or is everything supernaturally occurring, which is how I'm leaning there, is that while I have a body and I am in the body, I am not the body, right? I right. I inhabit this for a time. So it's the same sort of thing with Derenberger. He inhabits his body for a time, and then he goes unconscious, he goes elsewhere, and his consciousness is transmitted elsewhere, and then his consciousness comes back. Does that answer your question?
1: I think it does. (laughs) I mean, I don't necessarily... I kind of lean your way in that like we are just vessels and conduits uh, by which our uh, self exists. So I, I guess it does. Sure. Why not? It's late at night. Screw it.
2: Yeah. You guys, it's like nine o'clock here. You guys are pushing like 1130. So good on you. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say then one last other quick thing. And this is the other thing that I like to think when I want to say what's the craziest explanation for UFOs or especially not UFOs, but their inhabitants. Okay. And that is a story in who has read the supernatural.
0: I have it. I just haven't been able to get. It's like one of those books. that that Rich Whitley Strieber,
2: Strieber, Jeffrey cripple cripple. I don't know how it's pronounced. Oh my gosh. Um, It's cripple. Thank you. I'll stop saying cripple. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) so it is one of those books that rich Adam like tweets every so often. And is like, you should read this book and you should read this book. It's a very good book. Kripal is a a, a intellectual or on a uh, what am I trying to say a scholar of comparative religion and and comparative belief systems and he then pairs his understanding of belief systems with Whitley Strieber's experiences. It's a very interesting read. Now Strieber talks about multiple times when individuals are going about their lives to under or they're going about their lives being completely normal and suddenly they are a gray alien it is very strange there is one individual a man who was a masseuse and he is giving a massage he looks over in a mirror and even though when he looks at his hand he sees his hand in the mirror he sees a gray alien giving the massage to the person and moving in tandem with him. He talks about how his wife, there were times with his wife, you know, rest her soul. He would be laying in bed and he would look at her. And for a moment, for a moment, she would take the appearance of that queen, tall white, essentially that, that shepherds him through his abduction experiences, who is his protector and his, his benefactor and his friend and who, even though she is physically repulsive, he felt a deep soul love for. And in that way, we have to ask whether the, the inhabitants of the UFOs are simply a piece of ourselves that is potentially reaching out and trying to another being within us that is reaching out trying to make contact and it says well i have to do it on a physical level because these stupid meatbags don't understand the spiritual truly (laughs) and that is my favorite craziest thing is that there is something else that lives within us and that's what this is
1: sam with an eloquent defense of bestiality uh right there and then hey
2: man fuck you (laughs) dude (laughs)
1: jeez you rat uh, yeah right <laughs> no but i'm glad you got weird with it sam and that's i'm hope that was, was kind of where i was hoping you would take it um you're welcome <laughs> so <laughs> before we read the book we would just very quickly like to thank ryan sprague for graciously uh sending us electronic copies of the book for us to read it helped um facilitate the second edition of book club so thanks ryan um and now uh we're going to use the uh close encounter uh, our UFO dad uh, scale of close encounters in order to rate this book. So I'd like to take a deep pause, take a little breath, kind of think about where on the spectrum you would like to land. And I'm even in this case going to allow you guys go up to the seventh kind if you want. Oh,
2: damn!
0: So, so we're uh, we're going all the way from uh,
1: CE one to CE seven. That's right, with all the CE three sort of like subtypes, if you want. Okay, um, sort of like, and I can't remember last time because I haven't listened to the episode recently. Like, was the CE one like? the boring kind and the CEV seven, like the, like the thumbs up for life explanation.
2: I think, yeah, I think that's fair.
1: Yeah. I think that's what yeah, it was last something time. Something like that. But I, I, um, I cut you guys off at like CE three. Cause I was, I was being very like uh, modest. And now I think alien banging is on the table boys.
0: Okay. Um, if I'm, if I'm going um, with anything, I'm definitely going CE seven just because, uh, this book made me think and it made me postulate things and I felt a deep connection to it. <laughs> and um it's 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 like a CE seven for sure. I, I had the full David Huggins experience. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Angela, what about you? Save for the inclusion of our friend Damien Knott, who I still maintain as the standard Romanek of Australia. This was a really good book. So I'm going to go in between 6 and 7. So some poor animal or human died, but somebody got banged. (laughs) Somebody
1: (laughs) got banged. Uh
0: This is the first ever
3: close encounter of the (laughs)
0: 6.5.
2: Six and a half
1: kinds. Uh, Sam, what about you? I'm very curious to hear your rating of this book.
2: You can even just rate the cover if you'd like. So, right. I, what I have to rate, I don't... Let's just be honest. I can't... I don't know what the cover looks like. Um, <laughs> I know nothing about this book. And I'm sorry, Ryan. You sent me a copy and it's my fault. But it's also Brian's fault, mostly. Um, so...
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I lo- I'm keeping you ignorant. Absolutely. that's That was my whole plan the whole time.
2: So, right. You have... The Close Encounter of the Fourth Kind. And it's come to mean different things. It was co-opted by Greer after Valet originally created it. But Vallée's original idea wasn't necessarily abduction, which is what it kind of means now. But a, a, a true Close Encounter of the Fourth Kind is simply a case when witnesses experience a transformation of their sense of reality. Okay, so even again, even if it's not physical, even if you're not actually be, being taken, if you are having a changed sense of reality because of your close encounter, that's a close encounter of the fourth kind. That's what I'm giving this simply based on the the fantastic conversation we've had alone. Um but I'm I'm sure that it it has achieved at least that and everyone should buy this book and read it twice, once for me and one for you. So
1: fair enough i'm going to give the book a ce5 which is a direct communication between aliens and humans and i feel like based on the conversation we've had especially in the second half about you know communication how these craft and these uh, beings are trying to uh, get close to us both physically uh, emotionally spiritually etc cetera, etc cetera, i feel like it's the most appropriate uh, rating to give it
2: that's fair that's fair
1: so do you guys want to yell out your socials while we're at
2: this who goes first
0: start with the guests first uh whoever
1: wants to step up to
2: that go for brian you do it oh brian okay that's good all right
1: Uh, you can find our podcast Double Density, which is uh, half tech, half paranormal. So if you're interested in talking about everything from smartphones uh, to the dark web to I don't know, uh, we we talk a lot about UFOs. We see a paranormal, but really it's like two out of three episodes is usually about UFOs these days. So uh, you can go ahead and find us over um, on DoubleDensity.net. Primarily, we have all of our newest episodes there, as well as all of the different services you can subscribe to, including uh, iTunes and uh, Stitcher and Castro and Angela. I'm probably missing six or seven, right? So if yeah, there's you like them Spotify up, and Google play music and all that stuff all that stuff anyway, And also, you find be- podcasts exactly uh twitter double underscore density facebook.com slash double density podcast same thing on instagram and as i mentioned just before double density.net for everything else
2: so hello my name is sam frederickson i am the host of not alone my co-host jason not here right now that's okay though he's pretty great jason moitoso he can be found at mighty moit on twitter remember folks hootsuite what yes my moist toast tweet
1: moist toast tweet, tweet
2: him. him tweet him now not alone pod is our twitter handle my personal twitter handle is beer lord elf Bane. and yeah you can find not alone anywhere that anything is found regardless of what it is we are there
1: awesome it is because it is is what we learned tonight
2: we are because we are
1: yes thank you Yes, I Um. picture you bowing gracefully while you're saying that too.
2: (laughs) me. No, I'm I'm just like last time in my bed in my underwear. That's that's where we are.
1: Sensual podcasting. Sensual podcasting. podcasting. Good. (laughs) Lord, (laughs) it's brilliant. It's 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 brilliant. Um, So, Rob, thank you for having us. Uh, Would you care to uh, very graciously list off your socials?
0: Uh, of of course uh first and foremost if you'd like to email the show you could do so our strange at gmail.com you can send me uh, spam and you can also tell me that the aliens are trying to communicate with me like you have like repeatedly now Whoa. um I am on Facebook Twitter and Instagram just search for our strange skies uh, we also have a Facebook group uh, in gray we trust a group for those that look up into our strange guys. Uh, we have a Patreon now, patreon.com slash Our Strange Guys. Uh, there are three tiers. You get bonus episodes, uh, early release episodes, all sorts of fun stuff over there. Uh, we do have merch in T Public Store. Just search for Our Strange Guys. There are currently five or six designs up there. Uh, I forget exactly how many it is right now, but there are a number of designs out there. And um, And finally, uh, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies in Grey We Trust.